Being an expert sucks. As a teacher of spiritual intelligence and emotional health, I get cornered into being the guy who has all the answers. I'd like to take this opportunity to make a confession. I don't. What I do have are convictions. I have theories. I have questions. I find myself looking around and I'm like, we can't stay here. Stop setting up your tent. We can't stay here. Through my journey, it's become evident that being a participant is no longer enough. It's time to become reformers. These are my confessions. To get deeper in this conversation, visit MikeMayashiro.com. Today, I want to talk about teaching time. So every week on Wednesdays, I'd get my team together and we would literally have two and a half hours where I would just teach them. Uh, I'd get my whiteboard out in my living room. They'd all sit around and then I'd just go through stuff. We'd talk about like dynamics in the spirit. We'd pull out some Bible that we'd read and then go through some principles and things. But basically, this time is where... Uh, talk to my team about this whole rabbi yoke situation where like you know if i'm discipling them i'm going to teach them my perspective and practice and application of what it looks like to walk out following the holy spirit today in this day and age with our cultural issues and social things and practices and attitudes and that whole thing um so every wednesday morning we would spend time doing that we would get into some pretty specific and like kind of i don't know if controversial is the right word because i don't think that it's unbiblical by any means but you know stuff that people would have to wrestle with a little bit if they were going to legitimately believe God. And there's lots of things in the Bible that if we genuinely believe what the author was saying would mess with us. And we would live differently if we actually believe those things. Right. And so this space was dedicated to helping challenge things we've accepted in our Christianity, in our faith, this, or even just the way that we do relationships that are actually unbiblical or evil, dare I say, you know? And so it was a lot of like, reorientation where they basically every week we would wrestle with different things that are normal in our society. I guess common is the right word, but not normal for a human being who's loved and accepted by God to be acting out. Right. So we would go after stuff, things like, um, what are some things we talked about? I mean, obviously there's the controversial end where we start talking about, do we have to die? Is that a thing? Or like, where do evil spirits come from? Or like, how do we follow the Holy Spirit in like our relationships? How do we address family dynamics? What does it look like to grow and ex like expand beyond our cocoon or chrysalis or whatever, and then still relate to people who think that we're cocooned, right? And like, learn how to build new from that place. We just we'd go through all kinds of things. There's a gamut, right? We talk about money and what does it look like to steward resources, finances, wealth. What does it look like to participate in the economy and, you know, like being an entrepreneur versus being, having a job or being self-employed or whatever. Like just, we would, it was a gamut, right? We'd go through all these things. We'd look at what does the Bible have to say about these things? What does it look like to follow the Holy Spirit? What is his nature in this stuff? And we tend to follow curiosity and trust and hope and love and truth, humility, right? Honor these kinds of things. And sometimes, no, probably more often than not, following him in that looks like doing something different than what's quote unquote common, right? Cause there's a lot of complacency and compromise in our daily practices, even among the Christian church, just out of like negligence or ignorance, right? Or unbelief. And so we just spend time on Wednesday mornings going after this stuff and uprooting things and just kind of getting reoriented. And uh, for some people, this could be a pretty tumultuous experience. Um, I know Haley won the butterfly award this last year because she was, um, her practice, especially in teaching time, was affectionately coined that she would cocoon. Like Haley would basically be covered by a blanket, 
at the beginning of the of the time, and then as the lesson continued, the blanket would come up higher and higher up towards her face, and then eventually, at some point, it would be too much. It would go too far. It was just something she couldn't connect to. Her. It was overhead, and she would be fully submerged in the blanket, completely covered. Haley is gone, and this happened on a regular basis to the point that we all just like the first person to notice would say, "And Haley's cocooning," and we'd all laugh and like, "Haley, what's going on?" and try and pull her back in. Um, but that was a re- common occurrence for Haley because it was just a lot of paradigm shifts and her just, yeah, just like calisthenics with her blanket, just like repeatedly having to cocoon this thing to protect herself from, oh, I don't know this or I'm out of control here. I don't want to go there. And yes, very emotional. Lots of tears, not just by Haley. Like at some point everyone was crying, right? Just kind of like walking through some stuff, which is beautiful. And so and the cool thing about this thing too, though, is like at teaching time isn't just me talking at my team. It's a very interactive exchange, right? So I very much expect my team to participate. I want them to ask questions. I want them to chime in. I often have checkpoints like, okay, let's take a moment. Thoughts, responses, questions. I think that came out of my mouth in repetition quite a bit for them to chime in. Like, what are they thinking? What are they wrestling with? What do they want to question or poke at? What do they want to challenge? What do they disagree with? Like, we're just kind of reasoning together, right? And just wanting to create a space where we can pursue what's in the Bible, what the scriptures are telling us, what the Holy Spirit's doing, and we can reason together, what does it look like to walk with him now and actually ask these questions and then put some like action behind that, like actually agree with him, with our lives, with our choices, with our intentions. Um, So you can imagine sitting in that space on a weekly basis with the same people, that can be a pretty transformative time. It can be pretty painful. It can be, you know, know, like probably uh, uprooting in a lot of ways. Which I think is the point. And the whole point is not for people to be uncomfortable or to like have to, you know, struggle through things, but legitimately for us to not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. That we would actually look at this stuff and let it challenge us. That when we read the Bible, we let that book read us. That thing is mystical and it's coded. And if we allow ourselves to like enter the posture of a child, of a student, of a novice, and letting the Holy Spirit teach us what's true what's real and being willing to let go of what our parents told us or what the world told us or what physics or gravity told us or whatever, right? And let God inform us what is real. Things change. And obviously it doesn't necessarily happen overnight. And there's so many different subjects we could explore here. But as we continue in the practice of allowing the truth to challenge and question what we've accepted as real and let our perception of reality um, bend to the truth, then that transformational process then sets us it gives us the experience of the freedom that jesus already purchased on the cross right so jesus said if you hold to my teachings then you really are my disciples then you'll know the truth there's an intimate exchange here of like relationship with the truth and the truth will set you free that is such a real experience in this life it's not just conceptual it's not just for a time after this It is now that is an experience that I remember going through years ago and realizing that is such a commentary on reality. Jesus is not, Jesus, Jesus is not telling you, um, this is going to happen eventually in your life or like, you know, when you die and go to heaven, this could be the possibility or whatever. He is literally telling you, this is the deal. If you do the things that I said to do, not just like mindlessly obey me, but if you actually like understand where I'm coming from and cast your lot with me and live like what I'm telling you is real, then you're actually following me. Then you're actually my disciple. He's helping you understand that's a symptom of someone who's actually a disciple of Jesus is you're actually doing the things he's talking about. Don't just listen to me. Don't just praise me with your words. Don't just agree with me. Demonstrate you believe me by how you live. Obey my commandments, right? Then you're really my disciples. 
then you'll know the truth. Then that experience will do something to you. It will change your perspective, your attitude, your emotional state. The agreements you've said yes to in your life up to this point will shift. And you'll start feeling an influx and a familiarity of the spirit of truth coming through your being, which empowers you, brings you clarity, rises you above all the drama and the clutter and the debris of nastiness and evil and compromise and small living and fear and control. Ah, right? And that experience will then liberate you from the bondage and the oppression and the darkness and the deception that comes from agreeing with evil in this world. And you become free. And then you get to choose based on what you want, not based on external factors that you're afraid of or subjected to. You wake up and realize those things actually have no power over you. Not out of like, I hope this is true. Jesus, I'm trusting you. Blind faith. It's a re it's an understanding and a confidence. It's an awareness and a realization, a revelation. I'm different than I thought. And this world doesn't have power over me. And when you understand that, your choices change. Your lifestyle changes. The things you embrace, the things you oppose change. And your experience changes. And when that stuff starts to happen, legitimately, the spiritual influence of your of the world you walk in and what you carry in your atmosphere starts to become empowered it starts to become supercharged there's like an electricity about you and when you walk into even physical locations other people can pick up that em emitting frequency from your being and there's an invitation for them to step into something different something better there's a grace flowing from you there's this abundant like river of living water gushing out of your life that obviously expresses itself in the things that you say, the things that you don't say, the things that you're drawn to, the things that you will resist. But there's a, an energetic frequency as well that's unspoken that people can pick up and experience in your presence that causes them to consider things they would not otherwise, to ask questions they wouldn't normally be asking, to want something, to wake up to a desire in them that they've become numb to because they didn't believe there was actually a solution or an answer. And at the end of the day, you guys, legitimately, the world is crying out for the permission to know and love Jesus. We all deeply ache for that that longing to be satisfied, to be met. And so many of us don't even realize that it's even there. We think we just want money. We think we want sex. We think we want to feel good. We think we want all these like lesser, baser, fleshly things when actually there's a deeper ache that sometimes food might fill that stimulated moment. But at the end of the day, the food thing is not answering the question. The porn thing isn't satisfying that thing, right? Like all these different cop out, cheap, knockoff, low hanging fruit alternatives to fulfillment in this life will not satisfy at the end of the day. It's actually our longing to know the King. We want to know Jesus. And so when we, as the church actually embrace what it looks like to agree with him in our lives and walk this out, something shifts in the spiritual realm where what we carry and what we bring with us everywhere we go in every exchange and every environment starts to extend an invitation and people can feel a draw that it's possible I could be reconciled to God, that maybe we don't have to be enemies. They don't know this in English in their mind. They don't recognize this as a thing, but in the spirit, something is pulling them and it is the most powerful way to preach the gospel. We don't want to just convince their brains. We don't want to just bring them principles and information. We want to show up with power and that's not something we come up with. It's something that we align ourselves with. That's not even the right way to say that. That's something we become aligned with as we just say yes to what the truth is in the world, who Jesus actually is. I'm not talking about principles. I'm talking about the person of Jesus. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. And it's not an arrogant statement. He is compassionately demonstrating this is the way. This is the answer. This is how you get it.
So when we say yes to that thing, my goodness, we submit to reality. I don't mean the natural realm. I'm talking about the person of Jesus. He is reality, not this physical space, not the timeline that we're in, not the sunshine, not oxygen. That's not reality. Jesus is reality. And those things are the symptom of his presence and his nature and his decisions. Right. And we get to learn to align ourselves with who and what he's like his way. Right. Anyway. So Wednesday mornings are dedicated to the practice and the priority and the intention of respecting and honoring Jesus in our existence and continually learning how to say yes to what he do, what he does, what he said, and that our lives would demonstrate that he's been right all this time. That what he said 2,000 years ago, what he said from the beginning of time, his not just English, not, sorry, not even just the words that he spoke, but like his nature, his intentions, his ways, that we could cast our lot with him, even if it's contrary to what everyone else around us is doing or what the world celebrates or is you know rewarding, that we could say yes to his nature here and that history would show like, wait, these people understood something. They knew something and obviously they lived accordingly and they were right. And it actually points to, it's not about us. He's been right this whole time. It's a cry of my heart that my life decisions and the choices that I've made and the legacy I leave behind would demonstrate to the world from an overarching, like bigger picture history view. Mike knew Jesus said yes to things that maybe he didn't understand, but clearly he knew something that was correct and the Lord defended him and whatever. And this is not about me. I want the Lord to get credit for how brilliant and kind and gentle and compassionate and holy and loving and faithful he is. He is that. And our choices, our actions, the things that we invest in and build demonstrate what we believe and agree with. And our lives should reflect monuments of intimacy with God, where these moments, these accomplishments, these physical manifestations of an agreement point to a heart of a loving father who's with you, who's for you and ever present in all of the practical things, right? We spend Wednesday mornings wrestling with this. How can we give him more space? How can we let him take more ground in the life that he gifted to us that we get to then choose to surrender to him? If this is new to you, if this feels foreign or jarring or like coming from out of left field, what I'd say to that is, you guys, I mean, even the fact that you're listening to this podcast, God is pursuing you. Like, he wants to have intimacy with you. He knows you, but he wants there to be a volitional thing here where you choose this and you say yes. And there are things about you he doesn't get to experience unless you allow him to, right? Um, because of his nature, because he's love, he will not violate you. He won't impose himself in places that he's given you permission to govern. Um, and so understand that regardless of what you choose, he is pursuant. He is knocking. Behold, he stands at the door of your heart and he knocks. He's pursuing you. There's an invitation here. He wants to have intimacy with you. He want, And not just out of his own selfish gain of what he gets to experience with that, although obviously there is a delight and a pleasure and a reward for him in that, but also as a loving father, he knows the most successful and the most rewarded and fulfilled you're ever going to be is experiencing the intimacy that comes from him. He's the source of everything that you are, you are, everything that you want, everything you're looking for. It's him. And so he wants to satisfy that in you. And as he does that, it opens you up to the rest of everything he's ever had and done and put in place for you. And you guys get to enjoy that together. It's not the separate experience. It's something you guys get to do together forever. It's beautiful. So if this is so, super foreign, maybe intimidating, or it feels like difficult to sink your teeth into, or like, where do you even begin or whatever? Begin with this. This belief, this understanding, this idea. God loves you and he's after you. 
and he will not lose you. And so if you can just accept that and allow that to inform the way you experience your daily life, the conversations you have, the events that take place, there will be things that happen that the enemy is doing. It's not the Lord, right? So we get to discern the difference there. But there will be things that happen that might be subtle. That might be like almost barely even a whisper in your world. And if you recognize that he is present and with you and looking, hunting, pursuing your heart, those moments can actually be reinterpreted with a lens of understanding. And you might recognize fingerprints, letters, kisses, affection from a, a dad who loves you. Like, that's a real thing. I'm not trying to be cheesy and like fairy tale about this, Disney about it. That's, that is the purpose of our existence. It's for you to catch those moments for you to know him in that place and to be moved by it. Like you want it. He wants you like we want to let that stuff happen. And so whatever gets in the way, whatever you have to let go of or lose in order to say yes to that exchange and allow yourself to be pursued in that way. And for you to respond as a lover, to give to this relationship and to cast your lot and to bond in that place. It's worth it. Lose the thing, give it up, sacrifice it, invest it, whatever, right? Like let that happen. Cast your lot there. As you say yes to that, he will continue to seed the journey and he will guide you. Trust in him with all you've got. Don't rely on what you know so far. In everything that's going on, acknowledge him. Look for him. Consider him. And he will talk to you. He will direct your path. This is a promise. Like He will show you what's up. And it will be the ride of your life. I'm telling you, you guys, it's worth it. It's why we're here. I don't mean for this episode to get super profound and like intense, but... like. Yeah, if you're wondering, like, what is it like, or how do I do that, or what do I do with this, like, start with that. He wants you, he's after you, he will not give up. Listen, there's more where this came from. If you want to see how deep this rabbit hole goes, check out MikeMyashiro.com.